0: Hey there, thanks for staying tuned. I'm Brooke Thomas tonight, filling in for Jenk on the conversation. And I am so excited for this next guest. And I know I always say that, I always like kind of tease good guests, but this is a great guest tonight. And she's in studio. We have Ashley Marie Preston. And we, this is our first time meeting in person, and I'm so excited yes. because <laughs> I know a lot about you, and we've talked before. But I am super excited to, to meet you and be able to talk to you, even with my broken nail. I feel like I should have said something about this a long time ago. It's, it happens. But uh, Ashley is, Ashley Marie yes. is a transgender advocate. You are a civil rights activist. You are an award-winning media personality. And we have a lot to get to. And you're gonna spend the entire show here with us in the studio. Normally we have uh, two guests tonight, we have one guest, and I am excited to have I you. I feel so special. Yes, you Yes, you should, you are special, thank you. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself just uh, before, as we get started here.
1: Um, well, you did such an amazing job uh, with the bio uh, introduction, but I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I didn't think. Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. Yes, yes. There are so many different ways to say it, but that's just my <laughs> that's way. How the,
0: that's how Louisville residents say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah Louisville. Yeah.
1: Um, and I don't think that I ever thought that I would be an activist in any sort yeah. um, of of the meaning uh, or sense of the meaning. Um, but at 19 years old, I came out to Los Angeles because I intuitively knew that there wasn't space for me to be exactly um, who I felt I was. I'm from the land of God, doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. And so there were a lot of religious influences that told me that my identity wasn't valid. And so I knew that if I could just get away to the big city, it was gonna be the This opportunity for me to lean into that full authenticity. Um, What I didn't anticipate was that um, transitioning on the job, it would bring about harassment and discrimination. Um, Instead of my employer protecting me, they saw me as a liability and I was terminated. What that in turn meant was that I lost my apartment and I became homeless on the streets of Hollywood. Um, It was even more challenging because women's shelters wouldn't accept me because of my assigned sex at birth, and men's shelters turned me away because I clearly- uh red female. Right. Um, so I ended up engaging in street economy, aka survival sex work. And I started using methamphetamine as a social lubricant to help me navigate all of the things I had to do in the name of survival. So most of my activism, most of my work um, comes from a place of first person perspective. I have been directly impacted by some of these systemic flaws that still continue to prevent uh, black trans women from thriving. Yeah. And that's how I show up in every space I'm in.
0: Because I, I, I do wanna talk about those systemic flaws. We, we have a mm-hmm. lot to talk about, but <laughs> I wanna know, you know, how did you come out of that, out of that space, out of that horrible space? How did you get where you are? Now, did it take other people helping you? Was it just your own strength like what um
1: it was a little bit of it was a combination of all of the above. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately, even as a black trans woman, there are still um levels of privilege so i am mm. I have what you would call passable privilege um in that right. I'm not as visibly trans as maybe some of my uh, siblings would be, mm. and so because of that, I was able to um too high in my identity Mm -hmm. in a lot of environments. And I also didn't necessarily get disowned by my family. Um, I was just afraid of what my family's response would be. I didn't give them the opportunity to embrace me and learn from me. So I just stayed in California on the streets because I was afraid of what that conversation might look like. Those are two privileges that probably helped me survive. Those are privileges that may have uh, prevented me from being incarcerated. Those are privileges that may be prevented me from staying in a relationship that was abusive physically because maybe I felt that that was the only place I could draw love from. So those are all privileges that I'm keenly aware of, and I like to uh, underscore those when I'm in spaces like these talking about the trans experience.
0: Yeah, I, um, I don't know that's so powerful. I feel like am I sensitive today? What's happening? Okay, <laughs> um, and it doesn't get you know any better because we're here to talk about you know something that is still going on, something yes. that is still happening. Um, Chanel Lindsay was found dead in a lake this week. She's 26 year old, so 26 years old, a trans woman and the second black trans woman to be killed in Dallas within the past three weeks. We're talking about two women in three weeks. And you were on the damage report with John Ida Rolla talking about Malaysia Booker's death just yes. less than three weeks ago, also in Dallas. Another trans woman was stabbed to death before that, prior to Malaysia. And, you know, what are just your first thoughts, you know, about what's going on in Dallas?
1: It's not just Dallas. I think that with law enforcement, um, they have a tendency to look at the immediate um, circumstances and attribute it to a local trend. Uh But really, it is about the lack of understanding around intersectionality. We see that word all over Twitterland, but for those who may be new to it, um, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw of UCLA coined the term in 1989, and it described multiple threats of discrimination when an individual's identity overlaps with multiple marginalized groups. And so the the truth is that I'm never going to experience as a black trans woman discrimination on a single axis. But I'm going to experience racism, sexism, and transphobia, even fat phobia maybe, who knows, simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeing is a continuous trend of. Black trans women having to experience all of that and really not having the social support to um, be released from the grips of those forms of oppression.
0: And we can dig deeper into that. Black Mm -hmm. trans women face violent, like violent hate crimes. Yes. The threat of death, the disproportionate rate. 82% of the trans women killed in the US last year were women of color. You know, and so my question is, you know, Mm -hmm. what can we do about this? We know the laws aren't there, aren't where they need to be. Let's talk at a state, a local level, what do you think should be
1: done? Well, I think ultimately when you look at uh, social equity programs or any kind of program that uh, addresses the needs of historically disenfranchised populations, Mm -hmm. there is a lack of resources and there's so much scarcity because we're having to figure out how to invest um, in these communities. And the reality is that we need more programs that are better equipped to address uh, dual disenfranchisement. So let me just give you an example example of what that looks like in real time. That looks like me going to um, a program called WorkSource uh, when I was homeless on the streets and trying to get a job. Well, once I received that job and I was hired, I started being harassed at work because I smelled bad. Um, My clothes were dirty, I didn't have access to do laundry, I didn't have access to showers. Um, Even trying to get sleep at night, sometimes the police would come over to the homeless camps and break it up and make us get up and leave the spot.
0: Because you weren't at the shelter. right? Another problem. Right,
1: because I couldn't get into a shelter, right. and then I couldn't always um, go in certain neighborhoods because maybe the gangs would beat me up. Mm-hmm. I would get you know raped. I would get or I would get taxed because they would just automatically assume that I was a sex worker because I was trans. Mm-hmm. And so going into a job with little sleep, without uh, proper hygiene, without the uh, proper grooming uh, access. It, it, it made me lose my job. Right. You know, maybe I was on methamphetamine because I had nowhere to sleep. So people would notice I was being quirky and weird. So that's what those examples look like. So we need to have somewhat of a task force that is charged with addressing each layer of those needs simultaneously in order to set us up to thrive. We saw what this example could look like in California. Um, if you go to California, um, uh, cities. or calcities.org, you will find out that they have a task force that's uh, statewide, local, and city. And they're partnering, uh, building coalitions with other organizations to find out how to address those needs um, collectively. And so I feel that we need that on a federal level for trans women of color.
0: I love that, and I love that you went to federal level, because I don't think a lot of people still don't realize that the protections mm-hmm. actually just aren't there.
1: Yeah, you know, not at even all. that. They're not yeah. counting us. When you look at the fact that um, LGBTQ identified individuals in general aren't being counted on the census, and when on the U.S. Census uh, on the website, and even when there are there is information or data being extracted from these studies, they're coming from studies that are classified as MSM, which means men who have mm-hmm. sex with men. Right. So we're not even talking about um, the experiences of trans women or trans women of color more specifically because we're not even giving space for their experiences and their truths.
0: What about on a personal basis for people who say they wanna be allies?
1: The best way to be an ally is to first and foremost not conflate saviorism with empowerment. The reality is- Even people who feed mice, turn around and feed them to their pet snake. Mm -hmm. So just because you're stepping in and giving us resources, it doesn't mean you're necessarily pulling us out of the disparity that we're in. And so I would say to even the larger organizations who are, are hiring trans people, if your executive level doesn't reflect the demographic you claim to serve, it's a scam.
0: So I want you to put this, cuz a lot of times (laughs) it helps when you put things in perspective and people start to care more when they can um, understand it more. And so I talked before here about things that black men do and just to not be deemed threatening. So like Mm -hmm. crossing the street when they see a woman coming, Mm -hmm. not getting in the elevator at night with just a woman, not waiting at a restaurant for a friend and not ordering anything, not window shopping. Mm -hmm. Things to not appear threatening, right? right? And I know that there are things that we probably both do as women. to keep ourselves safe. Yes. And so take that a step further as a trans woman, just going through your everyday life. Mm-hmm. What are some just things that have become part of your everyday living that you do to protect
1: yourself? That you have to do little things. You have like Well a- first and foremost, sometimes it becomes um just walking the dog. Right. Um I will often pass men who will be like, hey, how you doing, sister? How you doing, beautiful? How you doing, gorgeous? And there are two things that are happening in my mind. One is I'm afraid to speak back because if they're attracted to me, if they flirt with me and they find out that I'm trans in that moment, that Mm -hmm. my life and my safety can be in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is I'm still possibly going to face violence because even if they don't know that I'm trans, Mm -hmm. they're going to possibly feel insulted or feel that their ego or their manhood's been wounded by rejection because I didn't respond. Mm-hmm. So it's a catch twenty two, and we saw this happen with the story of of Isla Nettles in New York, the black trans woman who was beat to death, uh, beaten to death because they saw her in a crowd and cat caught her, realized she was trans, and then she was in a situation where she had no way out. <sighs> so I think that's uh, one of the examples. The other example is this sense, this belief that we have to be gracious. Right. That we can't really say how we're feeling or what we're thinking because we don't want to seem unappreciative. We don't want to um, to maybe trigger would be allies and even working in the nonprofit industry, which now I refer to as the nonprofit industrial complex. Okay, I was only Absolutely. one paycheck away. From being in the same predicament as the demographic that I served because I wasn't in a position of leadership. So Mm -hmm. if I spoke up about the way that trans clients were being treated at some of these LGBTQ organizations, I was deemed a threat and I was a liability and I was a disruption. And so I oftentimes found myself in the office with my employer pushing my my last paycheck across the desk to me because I was willing to speak up and say the things that needed to be said.
0: organization is kind of saying that you're doing. Yeah. Right. To actually do that. Can we talk about police and police help because I I think you could yes. put it into words and say that the black community has a fractured relationship with police. Mm-hmm. And so let's take that a step further as far as, you know, black trans women. You know, are yeah. they getting the help and the policing. Well, that the
1: LGBTQ they- community, so there was a study um, that was done by Southerners on New Ground in collaboration with the Transgender Law Center um, okay. in 2017. And they found that 52% of uh, trans women of color said they had been abused or uh, faced violence from law enforcement. And that shouldn't be a surprising trend, because even when we talk about Pride, mm-hmm. this is June, it's Pride oh, Month, pride, yeah. and the reality is that Pride didn't start as a parade, it started as a protest, it was led by impoverished trans women of color Uh who were responding to the police brutality that LGBTQ identified Americans were facing at that time. Um, And so here we are 50 years later, and we still have disproportionate um, uh, negative impacts with law enforcement than perhaps some of our um, non-black or non-trans identified uh, peers would. And so I think when we're talking about the negative experiences that black trans women are having, it's, it's- It's multi-tier, one layer of it is social, the other layer of it is systemic. And I think that law enforcement definitely contribute to the systemic oppression that we face and it's directly connected with the prison industrial complex.
0: Can we talk about pride for a second, because sure. you just brought that up, and there's so many every time- I know, everywhere. I'm like, wait, there, I, <laughs> I liked that, and then I like, I wanna go there, I wanna learn more there. So okay, sure. but I wanna get your thoughts on, because after Trump's celebratory yes. pride tweet, there was a lot of pushback, obviously, because this was just, I think, I, I have it in my notes here. I think it was just a week since his administration proposed a rule that would remove discrimination protections when it comes to health care. Yes. For trans patients. So what were your
1: thoughts? When you were you angry? Were you was it Um, laughable.
0: I mean, it was I'm not
1: surprised. The reality is, and I even explain this sometimes to our allies when they're confused as to why black people or uh, trans-identified folks are not responding to this the same way they are. Uh These are the messages and realities we've been saying for the longest time. But we've been gaslighted, and we've had our experiences invalidated, challenged, or pushed back against. And so we're used to this. Mm -hmm. Now the more important question is, what are our allies willing to do to disrupt uh, this trend, to push back against um, an administration that is doing everything in its power to- Essentially, rob us of our humanity. Right. This isn't about values. This isn't about personal beliefs. This is about the carnal consumption of a community's dignity. Who is clinging onto the margins of society, doing our best to survive? And I think that social media is a very—it's a very helpful thing because it's connected us on a global level. Right. It's also a bit of an impediment to our progress at times because I think that we forget that we're talking to another human being who has a beating heart and blood running through their veins, just like the. Other person, yeah, and I think that Donald Trump. I don't. I think people give him too much credit. I don't think he's really um, that um, that <laughs> intellectual enough to know the direct ramifications and consequences of his words and actions. He's clearly pandering to a specific base, and they're playing this. Uh, they're participating in this political pageantry. That's it. Yeah, that has grave consequences for us. Right.
0: Do you want to talk a little bit more about Pride? Because I think someone mentioned mm-hmm. that this is the first Pride, and I may, I hope I don't have the year wrong, but this is the first Pride since 2008 where mm-hmm. the LGBTQ community has less rights than they did the year before. Yes. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, again, it makes sense because. During that moment when marriage equality became a thing, uh-huh. people took their their rings, their rainbow flags, and their new husbands and wives and went home and left us out there to fend for ourselves. You wouldn't believe how many conversations I've had to have with gay white men explaining why it's important that we stand for women, trans women, cis women, lesbians, all of us. um Because there's this belief that I'm gay and I know- Uh, what it's like to struggle. Therefore, you know, I'm not your enemy, but I'm not saying as a gay white man that you haven't had to struggle. I'm saying that your race and your gender weren't contributing factors to that struggle. And so again, intersectionality having to, <laughs> to Ooh, that explain right? to a community who's <laughs> actively benefiting from the blood, sweat, tears, and labor of two trans women of color. Right. And you also saw this not even four years after the Stonewall riot, when Sylvia Rivera was booed off of a stage that she helped build because they didn't want to give her time to speak about her issues. Finally, she broke down and The raw emotion that came from her after that moment still crushes my soul to this day. She talked about being in prison. She talked about being raped. She talked about being beaten up. She mentioned that she would had her nose broken. She would lost her job fighting for a community in a movement that didn't love her in return. After that speech where she was booed off the stage, she went home and tried to commit suicide and she almost succeeded. After that speech in 1973, Marsha P Johnson actually came in and got to her first and helped save her life. So these are just many examples, so 1973, 2019, we're still seeing the way that not only um, the LGBTQ community um, who doesn't understand intersectionality, but Pride Inc. Is a full entity that comes in and it sanitizes and essentially gentrifies the LGBTQ experience. And so, those of us at the grassroots level are still, much like Sylvia Rivera in nineteen in nineteen seventy three, trying to get the community to hear our cries and to be better allies to us. Because the reality is that when the most vulnerable among us is liberated, all of us will be. And not until then.
0: Let's talk about that liberation because, and, yes, and that's speaking I love out and being <laughs> like, that, so like that.
1: liberation. <laughs>
0: because I, I think that you've explained this before, but mm-hmm. I want you to for our viewers, you know, sure. we're talking about a couple years ago, yes, talking to Caitlyn Jenner, <laughs> and calling her out, yes, and then you ended up leaving the organization after that, yes. right? Yeah, and and so this kind of touches back on something you were talking about a little bit earlier, but mm-hmm. why I know and you you can explain that if you want. I know why something needed to be said to her, but mm-hmm. not everybody has, I guess, the strength and the wherewithal and the desire. A lot of people have the desire, but just the ability to actually say, you know what, I'm gonna do it. Forget it, I'm just gonna do it in that Mm -hmm. moment. How did you come to that? Why was it that important to you? Tell me. What What a lot of people don't
1: realize about that moment is that that was not premeditated. People didn't realize that the same night I ran into Caitlyn Jenner at that fundraiser was the same day that Trump, it was a Friday, and it was the first time that Trump tried to, pan, tried to pass the trans military ban. Mm-hmm. So it was still really fresh. Yes. People were very afraid. And we were coming to this trans concert to uh, to hold on to one another, to find, to draw strength and courage and hope from one another. And here comes Caitlyn Jenner in the space that- we felt was safe but we were lied to by um members of the board yeah. who said that she wasn't going to be there and they brought her up on stage so- and And so I went on TMZ Live, and uh, of course, Harvey Levin and Charles tried to uh, corner me and and, and trap me with the question Mm -hmm. of, you know, what are you saying? You can't be trans and be a Republican, or you can't be this and that. And so what I had to say to them was that you can be anything you want to be, yet what Mm -hmm. you don't get to do is insert yourself in the safe spaces that are designated by those who are harmed by your social and political efforts. Period. Yeah. (laughs) Point blank. Do you hear back from her after this? Um, So her team did reach out um, to try to um, uh, her girlfriend and team (laughs) and yeah. And the truth is that I hold no ill will or bad feelings toward Caitlyn Jenner. I think in that moment, it was just a reinforcement that not everyone gets access to those spaces. One of the main reasons why we struggle so hard, first and foremost, all the onus Shouldn't be on one person to represent an entire community. In fact, it's counterproductive because it encourages gatekeeping. Um, Yet, when we have trans people sometimes in Hollywood and in other places who can say more and they can do more, they don't. When they get into that space of that they believe that these respectability politics that are authored by people who will never respect them Mm -hmm. will save them, then we're still, once again, left on the margins waiting for uh, someone to speak up and talk. Talk to our truth, and so for me, being someone who um, has that first-person perspective, who has uh, directly been impacted by these issues, I feel that it's an ultimate betrayal to the community that has fed me, loved me, and helped me. For me to get into these spaces of privilege, and then all of a sudden forget what it's like, and try to be cute—that
0: that takes some inner strength, though. It does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talk about that all the time. Not every NFL player has the ability
1: mm-hmm. to kneel.
0: You well, know what, what I, there is, I mean? It's so urgency. I'm like, you so strong.
1: But there's still people suffering. It's yeah. urgency. So every time I have to wake up and go to social media to see that another one of my sisters has been slain, to see that another one of my sisters, even Malaysia Booker. Do you know the nasty comments that I read in that thread when the first headline broke? The fact that there were still people in the comment section promulgating these toxic false narratives that- Well, maybe if they were telling people they were really men and they weren't tricking folks, then maybe she would still be alive. And it's it's like, that's not
0: true. No, exactly. Yes. Okay, I had- so much more to ask you. This has been one of the greatest conversations of my career. <laughs> and it has Thank been you. so nice to talk to you, so nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. And you will be back because TYT has an LGBTQ special. It's actually next Tuesday, mm-hmm. June 11th, next Tuesday, June 11th from 5 to 7 PM Pacific Time. And you're gonna be on our special, other activists, celebrities, um, Jason Carter. My boy, Jason Carter is going to be coming back, so you know it's going to be good. You're going to be, and I'm going to be excited to watch you. And thank you so much for being here, and thanks for talking to us and being so open. And you're so strong and so powerful. Thank you. And I,
1: and I just want to say, to lastly, one more solution yes, that go for, it. for the people who want to be better allies, support us, but also support people who are supporting us. One of the main reasons why I'm endorsing uh, presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren- I wanted Warren, to get there. Let's do it, okay. Yes, <laughs> is because of the simple fact that she is probably the best person I've ever seen to understand nuance. We can't heal what we don't reveal. This is true. And even though there is so much chaos unfolding in the country for the first time, we are talking about issues that we have been gaslighted about for the last few centuries. And so um, for me, I'm really grateful for Elizabeth Warren to step up up to these banks, to these um, large corporations, to these uh, systems that are in place that have their foot on our necks. Mm-hmm. And so we need to not only support us, but support the people who are brave enough like Elizabeth Warren to stand up, speak the truth despite the consequence. Because the definition of oppression is prioritizing your comfort over the suffering of a disenfranchised community.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> we have postgame post-game show actually coming up. Like right now. (laughs) Yeah, so stay with us.